0: This episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast is sponsored by Sandborn's Boys. This new sports novel by Benji Mellaris is available on Amazon. Order your copy of Sandborn's Boys today. So this is not the this is not the ideal circumstances to be recording under because the Canada Russia World Junior Game starts in about an hour 15 minutes and the Canadians will play later tonight after five days off so all the big stuff's just about to happen but with the holidays uh, I'll be out tomorrow say is going out later this afternoon so this is this is the best we could do in terms of recording the hour
1: yeah. I mean, uh, it's the holidays. Everybody's got their thing. And uh, so uh, it's, it's just good to get an episode in. It's been a while. And uh, yeah, so we're smack in the mid- or we're, we're nearing the end of the NHL's Christmas break, and the action's about to pick up now. Uh, so since uh, since our last episode, we've had two Habs games here. Uh, they wrapped up their West Coast strip. They played against the Oilers uh, and against the Jets, and they, they, they came out with the 1 1. Uh, one, and one. Uh, so, what are your thoughts
0: on this week? Yeah, well, uh, I was I was in New Jersey this, this week, so I didn't have the chance to watch either game. I watched the highlights, though, and from what I saw from the highlights when I was reading, the game against the Jets, the 6-2 win, was probably maybe their best game of the year, or at least one of the best, in terms of not only the score turned out great, but they seemed to be dominant for basically the entire way. They were great possession metrics, and the one that stood out to me was a great Max Dome to Nick Suzuki Play for the was it fifth goal, fifth goal or sixth goal?
1: Yeah, it was the fifth goal there, and uh, okay. yeah, I mean they were absolutely clicking. Uh, so I mean we've seen this with we've seen this uh, trend in their recent play. You know they've really picked it up, and uh, so yeah, it was a, it was really truly a dominant win, and against a quality opponent like Winnipeg, I mean there are no team to blink at, and uh, they really they really they really dominated the play. I mean look from the get go, uh, it seemed that they they didn't have much of a they just in all three phases of play, even in the defensive zone. Uh, they pulled. They came out and uh, they really dominated the Jets there. Uh, but unfortunately, we came out of the game with some bad news. Uh, playing against his former team, Yuval Armia, uh, suffered. I think it was a hand injury. Uh, and they yeah. came out that he's out week to
0: week. Uh, uh-huh. after after on the last show, we we praised him so much, and now because he's been a really important part of the team for, for the whole season, playing a lot in the top six. He's been on pace for a career year, scoring a ton, scoring a ton of goals. So that that's a that's a big loss for for Montreal for the coming weeks.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, it's really unfortunate, and uh, we've seen a bunch of other injury news come out recently. Now, uh, so it's it's I mean, so uh, Drouin, uh, his, his projected window is eight weeks. He'll still out for uh, they say until the end of January, possibly. Uh, that's what Claude Julien said, uh, and unfortunately. Uh, Paul Byron who got injured uh, almost exactly a month ago and he was projected to be out four weeks and it's been four weeks and uh, they say he suffered a setback in his uh, knee injury so uh, it's very unfortunate and uh, I mean look the Haves have made it through the last month Uh, even like after the losing streak they've managed to really pull together but uh, you know you really like to see these guys come back sooner than later.
0: Yeah, well, uh, there, was, there was some positive news on the on the injury front. Victor Mate came back for the the Jets game on Monday, and they had him play on the third pair with Kale Flurry. And I, I love that. I think it's I think it's great because with how well Ben Chirac's been doing on the top pair with Shea Weber and Brett Kulak and Jeff Petrie also have a great chemistry. So to have Victor Mate, who who might be the best left defenseman on the Canadiens, get to play in somewhat uh sheltered competition with kale flurry i think that could be an excellent bottom pair if uh if they keep those pairings together for the time being yeah absolutely
1: i mean uh, for years we talked about how uh the defense has been a bit of a problem uh but this year i mean look we talked about it uh you know a couple weeks ago when we were discussing possible trade possibilities with shane goss's pair but even now i mean even without the guy uh look the depth is really going and you got six bona fide NHLers. All of them belong in the NHL. Uh, none of them are scrubs at all. Uh, and uh, yeah, I know this defense is really clicking. And uh, I'm a big fan. And they're, they're clicking on offense too.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, Yosferi Kocaniemi is also going to be back in the lineup tonight for a, an extremely important game against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, I think what the, what's happening is Nick Suzuki is moving back to the wing. And Kocaniemi will be playing third line center. I'm not sure how I I feel about Suzuki moving off the center. I wouldn't have minded minded to see Kotkaniemi on the left wing. I think we've talked about that before. But, uh, yeah, tonight's game against the Lightning is going to be, and tomorrow against the Panthers too, those two divisional games with teams that Montreal's really fighting fighting against in the thick of the the playoff race in the Atlantic division. So at the end of the year, these two games this weekend might turn out to, uh, when we look back on it, might have been really pivotal.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these games are huge. It's an absolute dogfight. Uh, we'll talk about the standings later, and uh, the Maple Leafs are really going at it right now with Sheldon Keefe. And uh, it's just uh, the Lightning, for example, uh, they're only two points behind us at this point in time, and they've got two games in hand. So uh, coming out with a win, absolutely huge. Uh, same goes for Florida. They're hot in the race, too. And uh, so, yeah, these two games, and off the year, and off the decade, uh, absolutely pivotal for this Hats team.
0: Yeah, so so this is our last show of the decade, and well, we, not that we've been having this show the whole decade. It's our last show of 2019, last show before the 20s, and uh, yeah. So the Habs did only play two games this week, so we're not we're not gonna spend too much time on them. I want to focus a lot on the World Juniors, and later on we've got our uh, our all Habs, our Habs all decade teams that we're gonna do at the end of the show. So that should be a lot of fun. Uh, if you have any. Anything else to talk about the Habs? Feel free now, but uh, I kind of want to get into the World Juniors. Kind of a, you know, kind of my favorite thing.
1: Yeah, sure, go for it. I mean, uh, I think I think we've uh, said enough about the Habs. I mean, there wasn't much action this week.
0: Yeah, all right. I would love to. So, Team Canada, who I happen to cheer for, being from Canada, opened the tournament against Team USA, December twenty sixth, and after giving up the first two goals, they stormed back with a six to four win. And obviously, the the biggest storyline coming out of that game was Alexis Lafreniere, the projected first overall pick in the upcoming draft, who is uh, only about a month or two older than us, actually. And Craig Button, I think it was, or Pierre Lebrun, someone, someone said they think Lafreniere's game against USA a couple of days ago was one of the most dominant uh, individual single-game performances that they'd ever seen at the World Juniors during this tournament for, for 25 years. He had a goal and three assists, including um, the the winning goal, which was a um, a great, like, he batted down a, a saucer pass from a U.S. defenseman and Keandre tucked it around behind Spencer Knight. Yeah, yes, that was it. That was it, yeah, Keandre Miller uh, turned the puck over to, to Lafreniere. And uh, he also had a great play, a pass to Barrett Hayton, where he went one on four uh, into a bunch of Americans. I think that was on the power play. He just skated right into the middle of them. Held on to the puck and passed it over to Barrett Hayden. That was tons of fun. Tons, tons of fun to watch. The it seems like they are those two already have great chemistry. For the thing I pointed out to you from Lafreniere is I know I know it's only one game, but I feel like if Lafreniere continues to be this dominant for this whole tournament, I, w- I was thinking back to the 2015 tournament, which was Connor McDavid, uh, his draft year, and I don't think he was as dominant as Lafreniere was in that last game. That was my. Th- uh, that was one of my big takeaways. Yeah,
1: I mean, uh, it was absolutely bonkers. Obviously, I don't have the experience of watching the World Juniors uh, like Craig Button. Uh, but absolutely, this guy was absolutely flying out there. Uh, and, uh, you know, recently we've heard rumors, you know, maybe Quinton Byfield, uh, his draft stock is rising. And maybe maybe there's a bit of a challenge up for the number one overall pick when it comes to draft time. Uh, but this guy, he absolutely stole the spotlight uh, against the USA And, uh, I mean, you talk about comparisons to McDavid's performance in his World Junior Championship. Uh, Absolutely, if he keeps it up. I mean, this was absolutely spectacular. Uh, Lafreniere, who is absolutely the best player on the ice, uh, and it showed on the stat sheet, but also showed on the eye test as well. Uh, And so, uh, I'm excited to see what he has to offer. And uh, if he really keeps it up, he can really, I mean, looking at the other teams uh, and how they've been performing in the tournament so far, I think uh, he could maybe bring them to the final and uh, perhaps even a gold medal, just Lafreniere.
0: Yeah, I hope so. Another thing, uh, we were talking about the goaltending being such a big wild card for Team Canada. I was, even though he gave up four goals, I was pretty impressed with Nico Dawes in the in the first game, which was a player I hadn't heard of until about a month ago. And I feel like um, I, it's kind of like I felt when Caden Primo was called up. Like, I wasn't too sure about him, but from watching him, he kind of seemed like he had good poise. He, he was very, very calm, good good technique. And I feel like I'm pretty sure he's playing again today. And I think there shouldn't really be... That much, that much debate anymore. I think Nico Dosh should be the the guy for Canada, in my opinion. Because I really like the way he played.
1: Yeah, I think he, uh, I think he held his own out there. I mean, look, it still remains to be seen. I mean, if he if he blows against Russia, obviously you gotta start rethinking it. But if he can if he can keep it up like this, hold his own. I mean, look, he wasn't anything spectacular against the U.S., but he definitely, I mean, he he held the fort. Obviously, he got with those four goals, but uh, I don't know. I think I agree with you. He looked solid. And uh, if you can keep it up, I think you're right. And uh, he'll be the starting goaltender going forward for this team. And uh, so looking on the other side, I mean, uh, Spencer Knight, he looked pretty disappointed there uh, despite his high uh, as a high, high ranking as a I, uh, prospect.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, the entirety of Team USA after a great first period was kind of uh, a letdown. Like going into the tournament, I thought they were the favorite. And a lot of people agreed with me. But I think what really uh, did them in was at the coach, Scott Sandlin, kind of like the uh, the lineup was released before the game, and it had a lot of people scratching their heads. Like, uh, for instance, Cole Caulfield, who we, we both love, one of my favorite players of all time, even though he's never played an NHL game, maybe exaggerating a little bit. He was listed on a line with John Beecher and Jack Drury, which are they're, they're fine prospects uh they, they were both uh beach was a late first rounder drury was a second rounder but they aren't really projected to be offensive stars like like caulfield is so and caulfield has shown like when you put him with a great playma- playmaker like jack hughes last year and alex turcott this year with wisconsin he kind of needs that to thrive and caulfield shouldn't be shouldn't be blamed for that i mean Ovechkin's been playing with one of backstrom or kuznetsov his whole career but I feel like when you have so much talent on the team, like Alex Turcotte is on the team, and for some reason he was listed as third-line left winger, and Trevor Zegras barely played at all against Germany. I think he had like he only played five minutes during the, the first two periods. Then he still somehow ended up with four assists. And Arthur Kaliev, who, who actually scored against Canada, was listed as the 13th forward. the the deployment The, the deployment on this team for Team USA was was pretty pretty head scratch made me scratch my head. I, don't, I think you would probably agree with me on that. And not to mention uh, Cam York. It was a recent 1st round pick of the Flyers. Uh was listed as the seventh defenseman on the team and barely played at all, which was... was a lot of people found that one weird, too.
1: Yeah, absolutely, I agree. Uh, it was very bizarre, in my opinion. Not just pretty head-scratching. I think that's an understatement uh, of yours there. Because, uh, look, I don't know uh, what, what the sandalins guy's doing. Uh, I mean, look, we could talk about uh, the U.S.'s second game uh, against Germany, I mean... I know Germany; they have a historically strong team for them, but they're no—they're uh, no equivalent to the U.S. And they—the U.S. only managed uh, to scratch out a four-three win in a game where Germany was winning one nothing, three-two. They—they see they had leads for significant portions of the game. Uh so, six-three. Oh right, six-three. six-three. Yeah. Right, but uh, still, I mean, Germany should have no business leading in a game against the USA. Uh, when the USA, you talk about how they were the favorites, their head, their hands down, uh, the best team on paper. And you got to think, what is the Sandlin guy doing in terms of talent management? Uh, you're talking about, uh, just two guys in particular. I mean, Ca- Caulfield and, turcott uh, Turcotte, he's mismanaged them both. Uh, Turcotte, he's put in a bottom six role. Caulfield, he's put with a couple of scrubs, if you ask me, uh, relative to the other talent on the team. And, uh... I mean, these both of these guys play for Wisconsin, so I don't know. They already have, they've already established chemistry. Uh, I don't see how you put these. I don't see how you don't put these guys to, to these two guys together uh, because they're absolutely talented and they uh, they deserve to be in a toxic role prominently. And uh, I mean, they just both of these guys uh, haven't looked themselves, especially Caulfield. He didn't look great against Canada uh, because they just haven't been put with the right players. Uh, and so you got to really put it to question. I mean, if the US falls out. Uh, in the playoff rounds, I mean, you really got to look at Sandlin uh, and his deployment. I think his his couch, his seat is absolutely on fire. If they don't make it to the final, let alone win the gold medal game.
0: If I were a fan of Team USA, one combination I would lo- I would love to see Cole Caulfield play with Trevor Zegers because I think that's the a, a classic playmaker goal scorer setup. Trevor Zegers is, was probably looked at as the best playmaker in this this uh, most recent draft, maybe just after Jack Hughes. Uh, I thought he was gonna had a really good chance of being a top five pick. He ended up falling to the Ducks at number nine, which they uh, they were ecstatic about. And I think him and Caulfield together would be a, a very deadly combination. Uh, yeah, you were talking about Germany a second ago. Actually, I watched their game this morning against the Czechs, and they actually they upset the Czechs. They beat them four to three. But honestly, looking at it in uh, in hindsight, I don't think it was that much of an upset. I think Germany this year on paper is actually at least as good as the Czechs, if not better. They've got Moritz Seider is the captain who was the recent sixth overall pick of the Red Wings, playing, playing a lot on, on the blue line. And they've got recent first-rounder Dominic Bach, who scored two goals today. And Tim Stutzle, I think that's it, Stutzle, who is a likely top-ten pick in the upcoming draft. And uh, JJ Paterka, who might also be a first-rounder this upcoming draft, driving the offense for them. And they looked great. They were, they were better than the Czechs all, for almost the whole game. Yeah, I mean, we talked about
1: it last week in our preview, how uh, we both like Germany and the, the talent that they present. I I mean, look, they haven't been in the World Championships uh, in this division for, what, four years, I think it is? Uh, and they come out yeah. with this kind of, this team. Uh, I mean, it's pretty loaded in terms of talent. You mentioned those three guys. They're driving the team, and they're performing. Uh, and they're scoring goals. And, uh, I mean, look, I think uh, they've successfully avoided relegation, and uh, good for them. I'm, I'm happy. I mean, I think... We can see the effect Leon Draisaitl has uh, as like maybe the first superstar out of uh, yeah. Germany, and uh, the effect he has on the, the years to come. I mean, we see what happens. These small countries, they get one superstar, and you see the effects go- going down the years. I mean, they they uh, just for future generations and such, they inspire these these uh, these kids. And uh, it's good to see Germany. I mean, it's a fresh face on the uh, international stage, and uh, definitely feels good uh, seeing them beat an established team
0: like the Czech Republic. Well, I don't think Germany's officially uh, clinched a uh, quarterfinal spot yet. It's still possible they play in the relegation round, but it does look pretty unlikely after after beating the Czechs this morning. And uh, yeah, well, your point still stands. How great it is to see Germany! And uh, one thing about the Czechs I wanted to, to point out—they actually they upset the Russians also two days ago. And one thing I noticed right away when I was watching uh, Czech Republic and Russia, which was the first game of the tournament, was how great the the arena the the energy is in that arena in the czech republic in ostrava it it does look pretty pretty small but it looks like tons of fun i don't they've got like they're all jumping around very passionate fans in the czech republic obviously and uh i don't know if you how close how closely you we're paying attention but the song they play whenever whenever there's a penalty for either team it's uh it sounds like a like a music box nursery rhyme sort of thing like a like, like in a cartoon or something, a character character slips on a banana peel. Oopsie daisy. Like, kind of sounds like that kind of thing. Like, like there's like, a, I don't know. Sounds like Temple Block sort of thing. It's hilarious. I love it so much.
1: Oh, I haven't actually noticed that. Uh, so I'll have to watch. i have to watch out for that with Canada and Russia this, today, later today. But uh, uh, I mean, I've I've noticed the fan presence too. I mean, look, the Czech Republic. Uh, it is a hockey nation, and uh, the fans sound rabid. Uh, to be totally honest. And uh, I mean, it's great. You you hate. To, I mean, these kids. Uh, it's probably the biggest stage they've played on their entire lives. Uh, most of them haven't played in the NHL yet, and uh, to have them in an atmosphere like this in the arena, I think it's absolutely fantastic.
0: Uh huh. Yeah. And uh, the one thing about the the Czechs that uh, was pretty disappointing. In the not even a minute into their first game, Jakub Lauko, who is a Bruins prospect, who's had his third World Juniors, and this is the last one he's eligible eligible for. Got into a, a collision with a Russian player, and he hurt his knee, and now he's out of the tournament. So that was pretty, that was pretty disappointing to see. And uh, another specific player I wanted to point out that the Czechs were playing against that game on Russia, Yaroslav Askarov, who was the, the goalie, 17 years old, talked about all the talk about, oh, possible top 10 pick in the upcoming draft. He kind of, for all the hype, I think more than Spencer Knight, he kind of looked out of place. He looked shaky. They were talking on the the broadcast I was walk, watching that he looked like his his angles were a bit off. He gave up a few weak goals, and they ended up uh, taking him out for the third period. I'm not sure if he's even going to be playing at all for the rest of the tournament.
1: Wow. Okay, I I totally missed that bit on Askarov. Askar, uh, uh, I didn't know he was pulled out for the third period. I mean, that's pretty big. We talked over and over against uh, about the importance of uh, goaltending this tournament, and if uh, Askarov can't get it going. I mean, that's a big concern for Russia. We talked about how they lost to the Czech Republic. If uh, if they lose to the if they lose to Canada and they proceed uh, and they keep going like this, I mean, I think we talked about them potentially, you know, maybe even missing the playoffs playing in the relegation game, uh, as crazy as that seems, uh, because they haven't won a game yet. And, uh, yeah, I mean, look... They have only uh, played one in, game. Yeah, that's true. But uh, they're, they're in our division, the, the division of death, so to speak, uh, where, look, we... we all the teams are all pretty good, pretty damn good, and then you have Canada, U.S., and Russia on the same division. Now, uh, yeah, I mean, it just remains to be seen. Maybe it's just nerves. Uh, we see that a lot uh, in this tournament. I think I think Canada experienced a bit of that uh, in the first period where they didn't look too great against the U.S., but then they stormed back. Good for them. Uh, but yeah, maybe it's nerves. Maybe maybe something's wrong with Askarov. I don't know. I guess it's uh, it remains to be seen. We'll just lo- we'll keep an eye on that situation because. Uh, a guy uh, as high as caliber as Askarov, uh, maybe we'll see his draft stock fall come June uh, if this if if he really can't pick it up uh, in in this tournament.
0: Yeah, so I, I gotta say after after the first two and a bit days of this tournament, uh, I'm feeling probably more confident about Team Canada than I was going into it with the U.S.'s uh, uh, strange deployment and Russian Russia losing to the Czech Republic. I'm feeling pretty confident in them, but there is one red flag about this team that's kind of a bit concerning. I don't think you know what I'm going to say. but So when they scored their first goal, uh, I didn't realize, I wasn't listening closely enough to what the goal song was going to be. And so I said, all right, if they score again, I'm going to listen closer. And then they scored the second goal, and I completely forgot. I didn't notice. And then the third goal, and the same thing. And I, I still haven't even heard the goal song. I know what it is because I read it, it's Let Me Clear My Throat by I don't even remember who. I think it's some famous song. And to be totally honest, the fact that I'm unfamiliar with the Goal song and also probably don't like it that much to even hear it when it comes on is a little bit concerning for me, I'm not going to lie, especially after the Hey Baby song. Hey Baby was such a such a big part of the team that won gold in 2018. And then next year, Don't Stop the Party was kind of a, a big disappointment. The Goal song is extremely important to me
1: is isn't now? Uh Well, uh, look, for me, uh, I mean, I don't really follow the music scene, the pop music scene nowadays. Uh, so it just seems when when it comes to these kind of things, uh, let it's an absolute classic, hey, baby. Uh, I don't seem to recognize any of the songs anyways. Uh, so, you know, to me, I've gotten over the ghost song, but uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what was the title of the song again? Let Me Clear My Throat uh okay that's a pretty good <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty uh interesting title there let me clear my throat okay i'll, I'll, I'll keep an eye on it uh an ear out for it today uh and let's see if it's a banger because uh look if it's any good uh i think your point is moot and uh i mean you say you haven't hear the, heard the song yet i think it's worth to hear it's worth a listen and uh back to canada being uh you see your, you see canada in a better light with uh, their opponents struggling recently. Absolutely, I agree. Uh, Top two opponents, uh, the US and Russia, in my opinion. Uh, Both of them have looked very, very shaky uh, when it comes uh, to the first two days of the tournament, first two, three days of the tournament. Uh, And so, yeah, absolutely, I can see Canada taking it all the way. Uh, And I don't see any absolute behemoths uh, there are obstacles in their path. As I saw the U.S., I thought the uh, I thought the U.S. was absolutely unbeatable coming into this tournament. Uh, to be totally honest with you, and the fact that you know Canada seemed to do pretty uh, quick work of them. Uh, it's gotta be very optimistic about this team.
0: Yeah, USA on the other hand did pick a great goal song, in my opinion, though. So that's one thing they do have going for them. They're playing "Shout" by by the Eiley Brothers. You know, you know, do you know that song? Do you at least know that song? It's from the '60s. No i do not know that. Oh, you know you want to shout da-da-da-da-da-da, shout shout that one you must have heard it before at some point
1: no Whatever. absolutely not it rings negative two bells in my mind uh so <laughs> look i'll just have to keep an eye hey, out for these ghost songs hey, hey, hey,
0: that one yeah you know it
1: I, no i absolutely don't and uh so i guess i'll just have to educate myself uh i probably seem like an absolute idiot right now um <laughs> Okay, okay. Uh yeah. Yeah,
0: probably. All right. Yeah, uh, probably. last uh I wanna shout out last... somebody real quick. Wait, before that, before that, uh, I know okay, that okay. one last note on the world gym uh Team Sweden extended their round robin win streak to an incredible forty nine games, uh in incredible fashion. They were down late to the Finns two to one. Uh Samuel Fogamo scored with about five minutes left to tie the game, and then Alexander Holt scored the winning goal for Sweden with four seconds left in overtime to keep the streak alive. And on their upcoming opponents for the round-robin, Switzerland, Kazakhstan, Slovakia, it's looking pretty good that they're going to be extending it to 52 and the streak will live another year. And I think it's, it's just crazy that because it's not as if, well, obviously Sweden's one of the greatest hockey countries in the world. They're definitely not head and shoulders above Finland, Canada, USA, Russia, any of those teams. And the fact that year after year after year, they beat at least one of them, consistently in the round-robin. I know everyone's talking about it all the time, but I think it's really hard to acknowledge how amazing that is. So I just wanted to mention that, point that out. Props to Team Sweden. Good work.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, my shout-out that I wanted to do actually related to this game. Uh, you talked about the two goals by Fagmo and Holtz. Uh, my shout-out wants to go to the the, the third goal, uh, the first one of the Swedes, uh, Niels Hoglander. He did uh, the, the Michigan goal, so oh. to speak. Uh, uh, absolutely. And it was crazy. I mean, how the, how's the goalie supposed to stop that? Uh, it was absolutely uh, – it was beautiful, uh, to be totally honest. I watched that goal about 20 times in a row. Uh, and uh, just I was just so impressed by – look, he was coming around the net uh, with some speed and in just one fluid motion. He gets it on the stick uh, and absolutely snipes the top shelf on the goalie.
0: Yeah, I love those – Whatever, tons of different names. The lacrosse goal, the Michigan goal, the Svetchnikov. Some people are calling it the Hoglander now. There have been a couple of rumblings that maybe it's like – Maybe they're going to have some sort of rule where you can't do it. I think that's a bad idea, even though it hasn't pointed out that it might not be the safest for, for goalies with the, the stick flying right near their mask. Personally, I think the best solution is, even if the puck goes in, if the stick hits the goalie in the mask, no goal and a, a two-minute penalty. I, think that, I just think that's the right solution.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And uh, I think the the wrong idea uh would be to outlaw this uh this this move. I mean it's oh, yeah. it's it's great for the fans. Uh everybody loves it. It looks fantastic. And uh I agree with you on that count in terms of solutions uh to potential injury risk. Uh if you slash the goalie you get a penalty, two minutes for slashing goaltender interference, whatever it is. Uh and, and you know that I guess the players uh to to, to be mindful of that uh of, of hitting the goalie but uh look I mean, we see it come out this year smash the cup. Uh, I scored a couple of those, and uh, look, I, I love this move, personally, uh, and it's and it's just a, a great combination of skill, hand-eye coordination, whatever it is, agility, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to see it in the future, maybe we'll see more and more of it going down the line.
0: Yeah, alright, so, uh, a minute ago, when you said you wanted to shout someone out, I assumed you were talking about somebody besides Nils Hoglander, uh, so that, that, that'll be our second shout-out of the episode. Uh, so, Christmas Day, at 7:20 PM, p.m., Anthony Beauvillier of the New York Islanders uh, sent out a tweet that, that reads, "Hi at Anna 47." And yeah, this kind of blew up. It was pretty hilarious, actually. All the replies of people trying to to shine Anthony Beauvillier in a in a good light in front of Anna Kendrick as he as he shot his shot, as they say. One of the replies here: "Anthony, thank you so much for helping my elderly parents bring their groceries in, then cooking them dinner. Seriously." Bro, you didn't have to do that. You are the bet. And so on and so forth, just like that. for uh, There are many, many replies to uh, to this tweet of all the definitely true stories of Anthony Beauvillier doing great things.
1: Uh, absolutely. I mean, I thought it was absolutely hilarious. Uh, I think it was somebody commented, you know, uh, Anthony Beauvillier, uh, there are hundreds of stories of him uh, donating his kidneys uh, just in this tw- Twitter thread alone. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, I th- it, it's just... Uh, a great Twitter moment there, and uh, I think uh, uh, Anna Kendrick herself uh, replied uh, in the comment
0: section, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, she did. I was just about to, to read. This was actually this is about a day, a full day later. Uh, she said these replies have been my entertainment for the last two days. Thank you all for regaling me with the true tales of this man's heroism. And then and then people replied to Anna Kendrick with like, uh, so is that a yes? Stuff like that. Marry <laughs> him. <laughs>
1: Let's
0: go, yeah. let's go. Uh yeah. Yeah, this is this is on Christmas. So uh, Anthony Beauvillier was probably watching that, that new Christmas movie on Disney Plus, uh starring Anna Kendrick Noel. That's that's my theory as to, yeah? as to why he tweeted Anna Kendrick on Christmas Day. Yep. That's yeah. a pretty uh, good theory.
1: Uh, yeah, shoot your uh, shot, Tony Beauvillier.
0: Yeah, good way to uh yeah, to spend your spend your Christmas break. So uh we are almost half an hour in now. We're going to do our uh, our weekly standings checkup now instead of at the end of the episode because we got some uh, some fun decade recap stuff to do at the end of the show. So we're just opening up. Let me open up the, uh, the standings. Montreal does sit third in the division right now, but Toronto has been on a tear recently. And they are second in the division right now. Montreal does have two games in hand, four points behind, but they do not hold the tiebreaker. So Toronto is... Firmly in second in the division right now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, Sheldon Keefe has really turned that team around. They've won six in a row. Uh, after that, who uh, was it? Damon Sears has scored on his own net last night. Uh, yeah, pretty no big no. blunder on his part. Uh, but a uh, win's a win for the Maple Leafs. They'll definitely take it 5 4. And uh, yeah, this team's flying. They're scoring tons of goals. I mean, we saw that Carolina game, which was absolutely insane. Uh, the score was 8 to 6 by the end of it. Uh, we could talk about uh, a bit about that game if you want.
0: Yeah, so I actually I I wasn't watching the whole thing. I tuned in for the third period. I did see that it was the Leafs up three nothing, then uh, blowing five in a row to the Hurricanes to make it five three, and well it was six four Carolina, and then I think the it started with the Matthews spinorama pass to Marner who one timed it in. Then a few minutes later Tyson Berry scored to make it six six. The Hurricanes called a timeout to, you know, try to calm the storm a bit the 6-6 tie. But then, like, you know, 10 seconds later, Mitch Marner scored for the, the Leafs to take a lead. It was a crazy game to head into the Christmas break on. I think that was the 23rd.
1: Yeah, and uh, you said it was a few minutes later. But, in, in fact, all three of those goals came in under, right. what was it, a minute and a half. Uh, it was absolutely yeah. bonkers. Uh, right, right. And even the even the... Three of the, the Canes goals came in under uh, two minutes. And so, uh, look, it was lots of fun. Uh, I didn't watch the entire game, obviously, because I don't spend my time watching uh, Hurricanes versus Leafs. But as soon as I saw the score flipping like that, uh, I turned it on and had lots of fun watching the, all those goals go in. And uh, back to the Leafs a bit, I mean, uh, it's very unfortunate. I had a, a lot of fun when they were, uh, you know, middling outside of a playoff spot. And, uh, I mean, it seems they've really picked it up. They're on a torrid pace. And uh, yeah, it just makes me very sad as a Habs fan.
0: But you know what would be more fun than the Leafs missing the playoffs is um the Canadians beating the Maple Leafs in the first round of the playoffs. That would be oh, that'd be so good. That'd be such a great moment. And right now it's lined up. Uh Montreal and Toronto could very possibly be playing each other in the first round. That certainly looks like a possibility at this point. And it definitely hasn't happened in our lifetime. I think it might not even happen since like the like nineteen seventy nine or something like that. I know it's been a very long time.
1: Yeah, uh, I am so excited for uh, the Habs-Leafs uh, playoff round and when it happens. Uh, hopefully it happens this year. But uh, look, I've been absolutely itching for uh, a matchup between these two teams because I absolutely despise the Maple Leafs. Uh, and so, you know, uh, losing to them would be ex- extremely painful. But uh, just the possibility of knocking them out in the first round, uh, again, uh, seeing them lose in the first round... Uh, to the Bruins for a couple couple years in a row then the Habs. Uh that would absolutely make my year. Uh and so yeah. Uh you mentioned how this matchup hasn't occurred in who knows how many years. And so uh yeah, we're definitely due for a Habs Leafs matchup. Uh looking elsewhere in the standings, uh let's see, let's see. I mean the Sharks. One thing
0: I did uh, notice. Yeah. Oh wow, the Sharks are last in the West. That is I, but I, well, can we get to that in a Because I was just gonna point out I didn't realize how far ahead the Blues have shot ahead of the Avalanche at the top of the Central. Last time, I remember they were just neck and neck like a week ago, uh, and now the Blues are, so the Avalanche have a game in hand. The Blues have 56 points. The Avalanche is 49. So I guess the Blues have been on quite the tear. Maybe the Avalanche have been slumping a little bit. Uh looks like, oh, yes, so the Blues have won seven games in a row. So, so that'll definitely do it. That'll That'll definitely cement your cushion.
1: Yeah, uh, they've been absolutely torrid. Uh, Look, this Blues team, I had, not going to lie, I have my doubts coming into the season whether they could replicate their performance after winning the Cup last year. Uh, It seems they absolutely can, because uh, seven wins in a row, as you mentioned, and uh, look, they they won in overtime again, and uh, who was it that scored the goal? They they had this guy who's been scoring uh, uh, an insane amount of uh, overtime goals. Uh, Let me just pull that up. But uh, I don't
0: know. I've heard about
1: that. Yeah, but uh, yeah, just the Blues. I mean, seven wins in a row. Uh, good for them, and uh, yeah, I think yeah, it's David Perron. David Perron has yeah. been scoring uh, an obscene amount of goals in overtime.
0: I think he's having, uh, having a career year in general. David Perron. He's like yeah. I think he's the Blues leading scorer this year. Good sure. for him. His I team mean, with the blues. yeah, out of nowhere, and uh, yeah, good for them. So the Sharks, last in the West now, after it looks like maybe they'd be scraping their way back into the playoff conversation. No, not at all. The Sharks are in last place in the Western Conference, third last in the NHL, and they do not own their own first-round pick. They're 1-7-2 in their last 10 games. Ottawa has their first-rounder, and Ottawa is also uh, sixth last in the NHL right now. So two very high picks in the best draft in a very long time is definitely... uh, in the in the works for the for the senators.
1: Yeah, uh, as uh, a Sens hater, just almost as much as I am a Leafs hater. Uh, it totally bums me out to see the Sharks this bad. I mean, uh, also just uh, just from a Sharks uh, sh- like just watching the Sharks in general. I mean, this team is supposed to be what? Uh, you know, this is supposed to be like the last year of their cup window, uh, and they absolutely can't pull it together because. Uh, the goaltending is absolute hot garbage. And they are 1-7-2 in their last 10, so they have one win in 10 games. They've lost four in a row. Uh, Bobby Bugner uh, ripped his team effort last night uh, after they lost uh, again, uh, and they absolutely blew it, I believe. Uh, and so, yeah, the coaching team didn't help. I think we could have seen this one coming uh, because Peter DeBoer is a very good coach, and uh, Bob Bugner, I don't know about that. Uh, so, yeah, looks like, uh, I, I think, uh, can we call it a wrap on the, the shark season here? Uh, are we throwing in the towel?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't see how they can come back from this. I think, uh, I don't know what you do without your first rounder. I guess the best thing is just to try to keep winning games, you know, because they don't have anything else to play for, except for whatever, the 1% chances they'll end up making the playoffs. Interesting thing I, I noticed about the bottom of the West also, it was really not very long ago at all that the the California road trip would be just a terrible time because Anaheim, LA, and San Jose were all playoff teams, all Cup contenders, and all very physical teams. And now, look at the if you look at the bottom of the West right now, last place San Jose, then the LA Kings, then the Anaheim Ducks. It's uh, it's really not looking so good right now for any of those California teams. Looking like the Sharks with all the 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 big money contracts on the the players at the the wrong end of their prime. Uh just at the just starting out Eric Carlson, Martin Jones, Mark Edward Vlasic, and they'll probably not be very good for a while. Probably the same story with the, the LA Kings. The Ducks are, they have a pretty decent track record in terms of drafting and they don't have uh really any terrible contracts on the books right now, so I can see them turning it around with the within the next couple of years if they play their cards right.
1: Uh yeah, and I I don't think it's uh any coincidence that uh, all three of these teams uh, are at the bottom of the standings. I mean, uh, over the years, just over the past—I don't know how many years—just the past like three, four years, uh, three years, three, four years ago, we saw these teams at the top, and uh, the game has really changed. And uh, you know, you talked about how these teams like to play a much more physical game, and uh, I see. I, I think we've seen those players have gotten older. Uh, the game has sort of passed them by uh, as a team uh, for all three of them, and I think that's why we see them at the bottom uh, of the standings today.
0: Yeah. Uh, another interesting note about the West: the Oilers, in terms of points percentage, have actually already fallen out of a playoff spot after the great start. And, and uh, I'm not too surprised about this. McDavid and Drysdale are two of the best players in the world, but they couldn't carry the load forever. And I think the slowing down a little bit for them was kind of bound to happen. I do not expect that the Oilers will be in the playoffs when it's April.
1: Yeah. Uh, we talked about how that. We talked many times about the Oilers and how you know this team. Uh, it's just two players, uh, McDavid, Drysaddle and a bunch of nobodies, a bunch of scrubs uh, in the lineup. They can't get anybody, uh, especially on the wings. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was about to happen. Uh, they're just they're just playing Drysaddle and McDavid just way too much. Uh, absolutely ridiculous numbers, especially since they were on uh, the same line for most of the season. And uh, so, yeah, we've seen them go two seven and one uh, in their last 10. They've lost two in a row. Uh, and so it's really not looking on the up and up. Uh, I think a lot of us have seen this regression coming, and uh, so yeah, they 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 have they played two more games uh, than the Wild, and the Wild are only one point behind. Uh, and so yeah, my just this Oilers team. Uh, we were all surprised how they started off the season, but it looks like they might be trailing off in the new year, the new decade.
0: Yeah. All right. So one last thing about the standings, I have to say. A question for you, actually. The, the Detroit Red Wings tonight they play the Florida Panthers. Tomorrow they play the Tampa Bay Lightning, and on New Year's Eve they play the San Jose Sharks. Right now, in 38 games, they have nine wins. <laughs> do they or do they or do they not go into 2020 with a double-digit number in the win column?
1: Uh no, absolutely not. I mean, <laughs> well, maybe they do, but uh, I don't see how in any situation I can uh, bet or. You know, make a guess uh, or, you know, take my chances on the Red Wings. Uh, this team that can't score goals but can somehow manage to beat the Habs. But still, they, they're they not playing the Habs this week. Uh, and so that's why I'm relatively confident in saying that uh, they'll enter the uh, new year uh, with a single digits in the win column. What about you? What do you think?
0: Uh, here, I say I'm going to on a limb. I'm going to say they beat the Sharks on New Year's Eve. They're doing it. It's the last second okay. possible.
1: Wow, ringing in the yeah. new year
0: with ten wins yeah. uh,
1: on the season.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. Right now, Detroit's on a 45-point pace, which is worse than the uh, the 2017 Avalanche. So that would be the worst of the Capira if the Red Wings keep this pace up. And actually, it's probably going to get even worse. Yeah. So maybe maybe we'll start the the 40-point watch of the Red Wings. Maybe they'll not even crack 40 points. That'd be something.
1: That would be something. And uh, I'm I'm cheering for this tank job, uh, Steve Arizmen. He's uh really pulled off quite the tank job over here in detroit uh, to start off his little tenure uh and so yeah uh the 40 point watch uh is officially on uh you know notify yeah. the masses uh we're, we're officially <laughs> on the watch all
0: right yeah we should call this episode 40 point watch yes that's a solid title all yeah. right so i think sure. uh, that that'll, wraps that'll it up let me take note of that
1: all right all right yeah all
0: right so so that wraps it up on that we got a couple uh couple fun things to do to uh to ring out the ring out the year ring out the decade especially which actually uh you might have noticed this was our first full decade alive because we were born just barely into the the 2000s so the 2010s are actually the first full set of you know set of 10 years that we were alive for isn't that something isn't that special
1: yes absolutely uh totally exciting and also i'd like to point out uh, that uh, while this podcast has only been going on for uh, this current season, uh, I think that both of us have been uh, Habs fans for basically the just the vast majority of this decade. Personally, uh, all ten years I've been uh, a pretty uh, you know a close following Habs fan. I don't know about you, uh, so yeah, I think uh, I've got a solid perspective on uh, the decade as a whole.
0: Yeah, well, I'd say for the most part, at the very beginning of the decade, uh, like including that that 2010. 2010- playoff run with Halak, I, I admit the Canadians were barely on my radar at that point, probably until about the, the the middle of 2011 was when I started to pay any sort of attention when I was nine years old. So before we do our Habs All-Decade teams, which uh, we each shot four lines, three defensive pairs, and two goalies ready, I've got something that I I wrote yesterday, which is my personal top 10 Habs moments of the decade. So for this, I try to, to mix my favorite moments with also uh, the most important moments. So nothing from the 2010 playoff run is on here because I was barely paying attention. I'm not trying to uh, to hide the fact that this list is biased because I wrote it, just so we're clear on that. Ready to hear my list?
1: Ready? Absolutely. Let's Ready? get her going.
0: All right. Number 10, March 12th, 2019, Carey Price breaks the wins record for Montreal Canadiens goalies. That was that was great that was tons of
1: fun yeah I mean uh we'll talk about price a bit later when it comes to our all decade team uh, but this guy has been has been the starting spoiler. goalie uh yeah spoiler there a bit uh, in case you are wondering <laughs> who we're gonna put for our number one goalies uh but uh this guy has been uh the starting goalie for the entire decade uh for this team is something that you don't really see in the NHL uh ten years in a row uh exactly almost and uh yeah I mean. Look, uh, he broke the wins record this year, uh, this calendar year, and uh, it was a solid moment. All right, anything you want to add on that moment?
0: Uh, No, nothing else. Just uh, we love Carey Price. We appreciate him very dearly here in this city. Number nine on my list, January 4th, 2012, Lars Eller scores four goals and one assist in one game. That was probably my first really awesome memory of the Habs on ice because that was, that was my first full year paying close attention to that team and they were terrible. So to see someone, just a Lars Eller, a third-line player, just a fun guy, have a great breakout game, score four goals, including a spinorama on a penalty shot, that was tons of fun for me to watch.
1: Yeah, uh, big fan of Lars Eller. Uh, perhaps we'll see him on, uh, on the All-Decade team. No spoilers yet, uh, but yeah, I don't personally remember that game uh but five points four goals let's go let's go
0: yeah i remember that game uh that was, that was tons of fun for me i miss lars eller glad he's got a got a stanley cup ring good for lars number eight on my list. july 1st 2019 montreal offer sheet sebastian aho that was that was for me uh that moment for me was pretty much 10 seconds of panic because obviously you, you see offer sheets so so rarely in the nhl and this year was the year there was, hey, some stuff might happen. And uh, the fact that Montreal, there was Montreal that came up, and it was with such a name like Sebastian Ajo, thinking that there was a chance just for a few seconds that they were going to get such a big name forward, such a great top-line center on the team, I was over the moon, even though I realized not long after when I looked at the numbers, yeah, Carolina's almost definitely going to match this, and nothing's going to change for the Canadians. That was still a really fun moment for me.
1: Uh, Yeah, Uh, personally, I don't know if the the, the negative outweighs the positive when it comes to that moment. I mean, seeing that it was the Habs uh, presenting an offer sheet for the first time in uh, a million years uh, was definitely an exciting moment. Uh, a name like Sebastian Alho, as you mentioned, uh, definitely gets the blood pumping. Uh, but just the fact that that offer sheet was absolutely uh, never going to be unmatched. Uh, Carolina was going to match that every single second of the day. And uh, I mean, to be totally frank, not a great offer sheet. I mean, uh, for some reason, Bergman didn't want to go to that next level. Uh, and to be totally honest, yeah, there was just no chance uh, when you looked at the numbers uh, that Sebastian Aho was going to be a Montreal Canadian, and uh, once you realize that, you know, and, and it was like a week... Yeah, well, obviously. Yeah, and, and it was a week of what? Just like painfully knowing that Carolina was just, you know, bleeding the clock, and that they were going to match it. Uh, not a great feeling to be totally honest. The hockey world was mocking the stupidity of these, the, the Habs offer sheet, uh, and so personally, I don't know if I would have put this on the, the, the top ten favorite moments, uh, but
0: definitely top ten most important moments of the decade. Yeah, yeah. This list is kind of a, a mix of both for me. No, 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 one specific thing. Just top ten abs moments. So I felt like Yahoo! Offer she definitely d- deserved a spot. Number seven. This one is probably going to surprise you. Uh, March twenty ninth, two thousand twelve. All right. So here's how it happened. So it was the end of my school day, elementary school. All right. And I'm uh, I'm walking outside. All right, to meet my my mom who's picking me up. I'm walking with two of my friends. Uh, and so we get to our, our moms who are, who are talking and one of them, I don't remember which one it does, which one it was. So, so the Canadians, uh, the general manager, Pierre Gauthier, and she said, yeah, yeah, he was fired. And we freaked out. We started jumping around. Everyone was looking at us like we were crazy. He was fired. Pierre Gaultier was fired. Not as if we were so knowledgeable as 10 as year olds or anything, nine or 10, 10 year olds. But we're just hearing, like, oh, the Canadians were terrible this year, and they need to, to make a change. Oh, it's probably the, the guy who makes the trades. Yeah, 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 Pierre got to, yeah, he needs to, be. yeah, fire him. And just totally being, like, we didn't know anything, obviously. No 10-year-old really n- knows what they're talking about. But just the, the childlike joy of, of this man losing his job. I was a memory <laughs> I'll always, I'll never forget that one. Uh, yeah.
1: So yeah. I don't know if you
0: have any memory of that. Uh, personally, I don't.
1: Uh, I, I I only watched the games. I didn't actually follow the management. Uh, maybe as close as you did as a ten-year-old. Uh, but uh, Pierre Gauthier. Uh, I guess you weren't a big fan of him. And uh, was it was uh it was Mark Bergevin who came right after, right?
0: Yeah, just uh, about about a month later, Bergevin was hired, and I I didn't know who, I had no idea who Bergevin was. So it was just, oh they they found someone. They I guess I hope he's okay. I hope he's good. Little did I know he would totally shape the decade to come. Oh yeah, well, funny how that works. All right, number six is actually uh, the second on ice moment to show up on the list. Number six from March 15th, 2014, Montreal's crazy comeback against the Ottawa Senators. They were they're down 4 1 with about three and a half minutes left. They scored, they scored again, and then with 0.3 seconds left, David Darnay ties the game, and Francis Bouillon wins it in an overtime. That was tons of fun what a crazy comeback they were talking about it for a week afterwards and uh yeah such a great on ice moment for me do you have any memory of that game
1: yeah i remember that game uh notably because it was against uh my hated senators uh and so you know seeing uh such a huge comeback in such a short span of time at the end of the game uh definitely one of my favorite games as a Habs fan you know just uh it's the kind of game that you dream of you know like uh you're down 4 uh, one. Less than, there's about six minutes left in the game, and you managed to, you know, tie it up, and then uh, Frankie Bouillon uh, wins it in overtime. Uh, absolutely beautiful game. I agree with you on this count because, uh, yeah, absolutely fantastic game.
0: Yeah. All right. Number number five on the list. Valentine's Day, 2017. Michelle Terrier fired. Claude Julien hired. All in one press release. That was done. You can talk about it first if you want.
1: Yeah. Sure. I mean, uh, I mean, look, well, uh, I'm going to throw a little spoiler here. I'm going to throw in a little twist to our all-decade team. Uh, I'm going to make you name a coach. So I'll give you a minute to think about that for your all-decade coach. But uh, Oh, you did? Yeah, I did. Uh, I might as well I just throw in that. a little twist there. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, Michel Therrier, uh I think he was the head of the team for about four or five years, whatever it was. Uh, and uh, to be totally frank, uh, I did not like this coach. Uh, he played a very boring style of hockey. And, uh, apparently the players didn't like him at all either. That's what's come out recently, uh, after he's left. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, uh, and we hired a stud, uh, Claude Julien, who had recently been fired, uh, from the Boston Bruins in favor of Bruce Cassidy. Uh, and, uh, picked him up, you know, good French Canadian, uh, dude. <laughs> uh, he already, he's already coached the franchise earlier, a bunch of years earlier. It seems to be uh, a trend within the Habs organization. Uh, everybody gets a second run through if you're French Canadian, uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, this guy had a proven track, uh, proven track record. He's a very good coach for the Bruins. And, uh, you know, looking down the line in retrospect, uh, you got to wonder how much time he's got left, to be totally honest, because he hasn't made the playoffs in three years. I mean, he he's had the team playing well recently, but uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe something to watch uh, in the new decade if the Habs don't manage to make the playoffs in the next uh, few years. Uh, maybe we'll be seeing uh, another double, pre- double coach press uh, release in the near future what are your thoughts on this this number five on the
0: list so, uh, yeah so well on uh let well, see when terry was with the team i didn't really hate him as much as, as a lot of other fans did because well along with the fact that i was what like 12 years old when he was fired when he was hired not even 12 actually and uh they had just sucked and then terry comes on board Bergman comes on board and they when they win the division they don't do well in the playoffs so, hey this is a massive step forward and the next year they make it all the way to the third round the next year they finished second place in the the entire league in the regular season. So he definitely, he had a, he had a, I, I kind of supported him actually at that point. But by the time well, they fired him, actually, I don't know if you remember this. On the day they fired him, they were first place in the division in, uh, in the 16-17 season. And they were on such a, such a terrible streak. I don't think it was that long. It was just several games in a row of some of the, some of the worst hockey the Canadians had played And Bergeman. Bridgman said uh, when he hired Julian, yeah, they really needed a new voice. That was, that's what I remember from that. They needed a new voice. So when, when it was kind of like in the days leading up to it, there were a lot of rumbling, Yeah, Terrance probably doesn't have so much longer here. I kind of had mixed feelings about it. But as soon as it happened and I found out who they got, Claude Julian, a great coach with a pretty good pedigree, I was, I was very pleased with it. And uh, Julian actually, they did make the playoffs that year. They won the division that year. They lost to the Rangers in six games and Julian hasn't directed the to the, pl- the playoffs since. But uh that coaching change, which is really the um the only real like I think that was the only mid season coaching change of the day. Dec- well besides when uh they brought in Randy Cunnyworth as an interim coach. But, like, noted not non- an interim French coach. This was this was a big deal. Yes, noted English speaker Randy Cunnyworth. <laughs> that was that was a that was a big deal. Yeah,
1: All yeah right. Yeah, so
0: sure. moving on to number four. June 21st 2019 Montreal Draft Cole Caulfield Obviously in terms of in terms of speaking generally just a first round draft pick a good first round draft pick those happen pretty often but for me this is a really special moment uh, you you there you know the story uh, have I have I told you the, uh, the full story on the on the podcast yet I don't think I have have I
1: Uh I think you have but uh you might as well uh tell it again to refresh the memory
0: Sure whatever I'll tell it again. So we were uh, June 21st this year, about six months ago, was the day of our, our prom, our high school, and it was also the day of the draft. So I was a little bit bummed that those two things happened at the were happening at the same time. But I said, whatever, I'll PBR the draft. I'll watch it later. And on our our Facebook group of our whole grade, that morning, I said, all right, I realize some of you might be uh might be whatever uh paying, going along with the draft on your phone or something. I'm PVRing it. If you want to talk about it, please make sure I'm not within earshot. And another thing uh, that's uh, kind of important to the story is that everyone knew, all my friends who love hockey, like, like you and a couple other people, knew how much I loved Cole Caulfield from, from the under-18s. I, you know, a small player, scores lots of goals. I kind of, And I told everyone, oh, it was so great for the Canadians to get this guy. But after the under-18s where he, like, tied or broke Ovechkin's goal scoring record, yeah, there's no way they're getting him. He's going in the top ten. He's probably going to, like, Buffalo or Edmonton or something. And then when when they drafted him, I didn't know. Uh, I had no idea. Like, I didn't even know. Jack Hughes went first overall for for certain. And I kind of saw people freaking out a little bit. And you actually, you came over to me and, and, I, and said, can I tell you, can I tell you, please? And I said, uh, and I realize now you're probably just want to see my reaction. I said, no, 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 no. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. And I said, and I was thinking, all right, there's still a couple more hours left in the night. Tysay's obviously really excited about something. It's probably something to do with the Canadians' pick. And why would he be this excited about it if it weren't Cole Caulfield? So about 10 seconds later, I go up to you and I say, is it Caulfield? And you say, yes. And we start running around and screaming, even crazier than, than I was when Pierre Gauthier was fired when I was 10 years old. And all the te- some of the teachers out here were looking at us like we were crazy. We were wow, wow. That was because usually when you watch the draft, if I had been watching that live, it would have been something like, all right, here comes the 11th pick. Uh, it's probably gonna be Caulfield. It's not Caulfield. Here comes the next pick. Oh, it's probably gonna. Caulfield. It's not Caulfield. And it kind of like it builds up, you know, like like a crescendo kind of. And when it gets to when it got to 14th, and you think the Flyers are gonna take him, but they don't. They take Cam York. And you go crazy, all right, Montreal, Montreal's up. They better take him, they better take him. And then they do. It would have been kind of like um like you know, like a narrative structure where it gets more intense as it goes on. But what I experienced was something that I wouldn't have experienced otherwise, which was just like a total flat line, and then one bang, one moment where you find out, wow, they actually got Cole Caulfield. It was that was a really big moment for me, really special. And also that uh that it happened at Prom. Very special day, very special day. Anything yeah. to add to that?
1: Absolutely. I mean, uh, personally, I'm surprised that this moment isn't higher uh, on your list, given that you're uh, given your aforementioned bias uh, when it comes to uh, ranking these moments. Uh, Because uh, personally, this is one of my uh, maybe top three moments uh, as a Habs fan, Uh, given the context uh, and everything associated with that moment. And just the fact that, you know, Cole Caulfield, absolute stud, uh, absolute steal at number 15. Uh, Yeah, just an extremely exciting moment Uh, as a Habs fan. And, uh, yeah, I'm just glad that, uh, the scouting staff had the balls to go and get the small, uh, goal scorer from the U.S. national development team.
0: Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, so that's, that, I could have put that a little bit higher, but I felt like, eh, it's a draft pick, you know, you know, reserve the big stuff for the big stuff. Number three, April 6th, 2019, Ryan Palings' NHL debut. Also, which happened to coincide with Bob Cole's, uh, final game. That was, a uh, that was great. That was that was lots of fun. Do you want to talk about it first? Yeah,
1: sure. I mean, uh, I do believe it was Ryan Paling's first game in the NHL, uh, his debut. Yep. And uh, he just uh, was against the Maple Leafs, too, no less. Uh, and I mean, first of all, just against the Maple Leafs. If you score four goals against the Maple Leafs already, mm. absolutely, uh, I'm an absolute huge fan. Now, uh, I mean, Ryan Paling, we'd seen this guy come up from the system. I think we drafted him in 2017 or 2016 yep. uh, in the That's first round. You. 2017 in the first round. Uh, and we heard the hype, you know. Uh, we heard he was progressing very well and that the Habs got uh, an absolute player in Paling. And, uh, yeah, last game of the season, I mean, the Habs had just been eliminated from the playoffs. And, uh, you know, and, and it was it was just a great, I mean, we, it was a great just way to cap off the season. Uh, we talked about uh, how Paling might not have played. Uh, If the Habs, if there were playoff implications to this game, uh, but there weren't. And it just happened to be that uh, this guy, he just lit it up. He looked absolutely fantastic. And uh, yeah, you mentioned it's Bob Cole's last game. Uh, So it's not just a Habs moment. It's also just a hockey moment uh, for an absolute legend like Bob Cole. And to see a guy in his uh, NHL debut uh, for the Habs play against the Maple Leafs, uh, the classic rivalry, just an absolute special moment uh, to see him score four goals.
0: I think one thing that made it maybe even more special was that the the report on Paling were was like, Oh, he's not exactly gonna be an offensive dynamo, like a like you know, a star forward size. He was probably more like a maybe a, a poor man's Jordan Stahl, the projection for his career. And he was playing on the fourth line. You, you you said if there were if there were playoff implications he almost definitely wouldn't have because he was he was scratched for the two games before that I said, Alright, no playoffs, we finished ninth in the east. Let's give Paling a, a chance to see what he can do. He played on the, the fourth line with Nick Delory and Jordan Wheel, I think, were his line mates, at least to start the game. And yeah, hat trick and the winner in the shootout, a very, very memorable debut for, for uh for Ryan Paling. He was the NHL's all time leader in points per game for the duration of the summer. That must have been lots of fun for him. And uh yeah, that's that's uh that's that on number three. And move on to number two on the list. Uh May fourteenth, two thousand fourteen uh montreal boston game seven round two montreal wins three to one this was my favorite game as a montreal canadian so far uh yeah probably it was it was close between between this and the the paling but i figured game seven has to take the cake i love game sevens so much in general uh montreal only had two game sevens this decade both against boston they lost, oh no, No, they had they had two in 2010, Never, sorry, see, there's my, my wasn't paying attention in 2010 by showing again. Yeah, they beat Washington and Pittsburgh in 2010, both in game seven. In 2011, they lost to the Bruins in game seven in the first round, 2014 was the first one where I was really paying attention that they won. And I don't know if you remember, Boston was the, the cup favorite that year, they just won the President's Trophy, you know, the Bergeron Marchand, David Krejci, Milan Lucic, Jerome McGinley was on that team. Louis Erickson was still good. George, Zeno Chara was one of the best defensemen in the league. Tuca Rask won the Vezina that year. And Montreal finished like third in the division or something. Uh, and heading into Game 7, P.J. Subban had a really memorable quote. He said, I can't wait to go into that building, which was the TD Garden in Boston. I can't wait to go into that building, feel all the energy, hear all the noise, and I can't wait to take it all away from them. And, yeah, so I was we were in uh, the sixth grade at the time. There was, a, there was a lot of hype with the Canadians, you know, whenever they go on playoff runs. About to go to the third round. A lot of people buzzing about it. Tons of fun, tons of fun. Um, and they they won 3-1. to one. It was just a nice, I think, the goals, if I remember, it was like Dale Weiss who scored the first goal, or maybe Danny Breer, and then uh, was it Patch Ready and Dayarnay got the others. I feel like something like that. Maybe I could have looked into that uh, to, before I started talking about it, but it was tons of fun to watch them win a game seven against such a great team and go to the the conference finals.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's what you miss, uh, about the playoffs. I mean, moments like those, uh, game sevens where you're the underdog. I mean, uh, I miss that kind of feeling. It's been a while. I remember that series very well. And, uh, I mean, it was just, it was tons of fun. Uh, unfortunate that they lost price, uh, later in the, the next round after that to the Rangers. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the Habs haven't made the playoffs in, what, three years now? And uh, and then the last time they did, they were first in the division and got run over by the Rangers in six games. So, yeah, just uh, these kind of moments, looking back, it just kind of, you know, makes you feel nostalgic, but also, you know, I miss the
0: freaking playoffs, man. Uh, yeah, totally, totally. All right, number one moment. I think you probably have, a, have an idea of what this is going to be, don't you? June 29th, 2016. Um. Uh, I don't think that i told the story from my point of view yet on the on the show, but uh, so basically, June 29th, 2016, which was the day of the PK Subban for Shea Weber trade, which is my number one moment. If you didn't realize, the Subban Weber trade, uh, also obviously Hall for Larson and Steven Stamkos re-signing in Tampa Bay for eight years, all of that happened within half an hour of each other, and the hockey world kind of exploded. Uh, you know this. I don't think I've told this on the podcast yet. I was actually on an airplane. While well, all that stuff happened, I was flying back from a family vacation from the Dominican Republic. We were we were coming back June 29th. Our plane landed in Montreal. It's kind of a like a a gray cloud rainy day, and I was sitting next to my mom on the plane, and my dad was with my my sister on the other side of the aisle. And apparently, what happened is they heard guys talking in front of them. Who I guess had just checked their phones. A trade, a Subin, something something. And so my my sister and my dad, they turned to me like in a panic, said, Alex, they tricked the two band. It actually happened. And I I cut like my heart instantly sped up. I was freaking out. And I didn't know yet that it was to Nashville or that it was for Shea Weber. So instantly my mind, oh, was it like, because Nashville wasn't really, the rumors were like Vancouver, Colorado, Edmonton. Maybe they'll, oh, maybe they'll get like, maybe like Pooley Harvey, who was just drafted or maybe, maybe Taylor Hall, uh, you know, all these things, all these things you're thinking about. And I got out of the plane. I checked the Nashville for Faye Weber, and and uh, yeah, I was kind of just I was in a haze. Like when I found out a few minutes later that also Hall for Larson happened and Stamkos will stay with Tampa Bay, those like those seemed so unimportant to me in the in the thick of the moment. Like, oh whatever, who cares? Those are tiny things in comparison to this. We waited in the customs line for like an hour, and I could like I could barely even talk. Think about this because Zuban was such an important part of the, the team and the city and the whole energy for for the six years he was here, six or seven years, and that was the whole identity of the team changed with the trade, big shakeup. And honestly, like uh, the on the day of the trade, it was almost entirely uh, deemed a national. But before I had the chance to to read anything or to watch watched him and say it or read Andrew Berkshire's article about how terrible the trade was. I was kind of just stuck in my own thoughts until I got home for like an hour and a half or something, I was trying to convince myself, oh yeah, Shea Weber's great, Shea Weber's awesome, he totally better than Sue, totally, yeah, yeah, this will be great, this will be great, and it wasn't necessarily all like joy moment, but it was just really, really heavy emotional, emotional day for me as a as a fan of the Canadians, and I think that's definitely, that would be the defining moment of the decade for this team.
1: Yeah, absolutely, I agree. Uh... I think any house fan would agree uh, that this trade is the number one moment of the decade uh, because it was just, frankly, so franchise-altering. I mean, you're talking about P.K. Subban; uh, he was the face of the franchise along with Carey Price. Uh, you know, they're just—they were just the personalities on the team. Uh, and you know, remember those—the the handshake, uh, their their little secret handshake that they had every game uh, as they oh, got yeah. off the ice. Uh, and it's so you know, fun. it was just, yeah, who didn't love P.K. Subban? And uh, just to see him traded away and not just for a bunch of picks and prospects, for but you know, one for one with Shea Weber, uh, just absolutely crazy. I mean, at that moment, it was indeed a terrible trade. It still remains, uh, to this day, even though in retrospect, it seems, uh, with Suban playing very poorly, uh, maybe the Habs did win that trade. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, just, I don't know what else to add. Uh, your story was pretty fantastic and, uh, yeah, totally agree. Just, uh, a huge moment. I don't think I can name uh, as big a trade that I've seen in my lifetime uh, than oh, you know. Yeah, no way. Subban for uh, Suban for Weber. I mean, just the next one. I, I just off the top of my head would probably be Halak for for Eller, and uh, I think it was a secondary, whatever it was uh, after the 2010 yeah. season. But that doesn't even come close. This was just nope. it was just enormous, enormous.
0: I feel I want. I feel like I should mention the the last cut from this list. Was when I was sitting on the toilet seat when you notifies me that Montreal traded Mikhail Sergeyev for Jonathan Drouin. It's another fun, fun trade story. I was, uh, I was doing my business while, when I learned about that. Thought I'd mention <laughs> that. Thought I'd bring that up. Yeah,
1: an un- an honorable uh, mention. And uh, yeah, honorable mention. Pretty big trade, in itself.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. So uh, right now it is 12:48 p.m. Team Canada starts playing Russia in about 12 minutes. Is when it's scheduled to start. So. Let's uh let's start going on our all-decade teams. We've got four lines, three defensive pairs, two goalies each, and uh, you've also added a, a coach to to the team. So I've done that too. Uh, I guess we'll we'll start with the first line. I have a feeling we have the same ones. Mine is left wing Max Pacioretty, center Thomas Plekanec, right wing Brandon Gallagher. How about you?
1: Yeah, that's three for three on that one. Uh, we got the same first line.
0: Yeah, nothing much to say about Pacioretty was uh very underappreciated. His entire time here, I think. He scored 30 goals consistently. Uh, he was a captain for a little while. He was great. He only had that one bad year right before he was traded. And we got a great return for him. I feel like he was probably the most underappreciated Canadians player of this past decade.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with you on that front. I mean, uh, in his time here, he was much, ma- much maligned by uh, much of the fan base, you know. Uh, and uh, he was the captain uh, for, for, I think it was a season or two. Uh, of the team. I mean, Max Pacioretty was an absolute stud, and uh, he's tearing it up this year. I'd love to see it for him. Unfortunately, it's with the Vegas Golden Knights. I hate Mm -hmm. that team. Uh, But yeah, just uh, I agree with that. Uh, Moving on to the center position. Uh, He was the captain for like four years. Oh, four years. Okay. Yeah, Uh, it was a while. All right. Even more underrated uh, than I first thought. I mean, three or four. Okay, but uh, that's a significant chunk. I mean, Max Pacioretty, uh, he was locker room leader, uh, goal-scoring leader as well. And uh yeah, I missed the guy.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, all right. And uh, now was uh kind of I think we can agree that he would have probably been better suited to a second line position for most of his career, but for basically all of his career until the very end, he was the best center on the Canadians for for the entire almost the entire decade, actually. Him and uh David Dernay were the, the two guys down the middle that that, that played. He Pekanitz was a great two-way center and uh yeah such to see him in the Leafs for for a couple months that was really weird but Pekanis is definitely the most important center for the 2010s t- for-
1: yeah I, I mean he stuck with the team for so goddamn long yep. and uh, you know him and his turtleneck uh just just basically he was a presence up until recently you know uh in my life as a Habs fan for basically entire the entirety of my fanhood I mean, he uh-huh. was just here forever and uh, he just he was he was fantastic uh, just the whole time, uh, though. I do. Agree, it was just the fact that this organization just couldn't get a number one center. Uh, and uh, I think he would have been even better if he was, you know, uh, put in the place that he really uh, he functioned best as the second center, the shutdown guy. And uh, but yeah, even even though he might have been a, he might have been punching a bit uh, above his pay grade. He was still absolutely fantastic. And uh, he earned his spot on the first line on our all decade team.
0: Oh, yeah. And Brendan Gallagher on the right wing. He, uh, yeah, he was a rookie in 2012-13, and he was a finalist for the Calder Trophy. One of the most underrated fours in the league right now, I would say. I think he's going to score 30 goals now for like the third year in a row, on pace for another career year. Uh, achieves all that despite his size, he's a fantastic leader on this team, and he probably will be hopefully well into the next decade as well.
1: Yeah, he's just been fantastic throughout. Came in as a rookie, uh, you know. You, you gotta love those, you know, those homegrown players. We don't have much of those in Montreal. Uh, maybe we will in the coming years. Uh, but uh, you know, just the last few years have been, uh, you know, pretty tough in terms of being a Habs fan. You know, not much, you know, long, deep playoff runs. But uh, Gallagher has definitely been a constant. I mean, yeah, he's just, he's just, he's so lovable uh, as a Habs fan. And if you're a fan of any other team, he's absolutely hateable. Uh, and oh, yeah. uh, you just. You, you he's just you know the heart and soul of this team you know you love to see the grit but he's not you know he's not slow by any means he can score you know he gets in the dirty areas whatsoever you know he's got the skill uh and uh he's undersized you just make you you know you just love an underdog like gallagher and uh yeah he's probably beloved by the entire fan base uh just uh-huh. absolutely fantastic
0: i i think the second line is probably where we're gonna start having some some disagreements because it kind of gets a little Mudley after those three. Uh, I'll go first, and then you can say yours. My Left wing, Alex Galchenyuk. Center, Philip Dano. Right wing, Brian Gionta.
1: Uh, actually, we went two for three on that one. Uh, I got Dano and Gionta uh, as my center right winger. However, uh, on the left wing, I put Jonathan Druin.
0: Wow. All right. Yeah, Drouin. after uh, well, he's only been here for a couple years and kind of disappointed in the, at least the first two. What was there, uh, your thinking behind that?
1: Well, uh you know, to be totally honest, the left wing, uh the past decade on this team, uh actually both wings have been pretty freaking bare uh in terms of uh skill, talent, whatever it is. So uh slim pickings. I I mean you put Alec Delchenyuk as your second line uh, left wing. Uh, and that's nothing yeah, to you well, know, write home about either. Uh so uh <laughs> you know, Jonathan Drew, uh yeah, just uh he was you know, probably the second biggest trade of the decade, or third if you count the Halak one. Uh, actually, yeah, I would count the Halak one. So third biggest trade uh, of the decade, I would think, uh, Sergeyev for Druay one for one. Uh, I mean, yeah, the first two seasons were underwhelming, but it just seems that, uh, you know, he's pretty important to the team right now, presently as it is. And uh, as I mentioned, I mean, he's nothing spectacular by any means. Uh, he did have a couple of underwhelming seasons, but it's just that this team just hasn't had many left-wingers uh, besides Patch Redding, that's why I found myself putting Drew in. Uh, what about you with uh, Galchenyuk there?
0: Yeah, man, Galchenyuk—he he was awesome. I love him so much, even though he's not doing so well with the Penguins right now. He was Mark Bergeron's first draft pick, third overall. Oh, what a great guy, you know? Oh, exciting young player. Made the team at a at a camp as a like 18 or 19 year old in the the in the year. Uh, he was so so much fun to watch when he was at a, at his best. He scored 30 goals one year. He was on a crazy hot streak for for six years. He was kind of a mainstay in the the top six as m- for more than half the decade. He was kind of like, all right, yeah, Gauch if he can only get going, you know, he'll be a star. Which uh, so I guess as a whole, his uh, the way it ended with Galtchinik was a little bit disappointing. But I feel like because of how long he was here and that exciting 30 goal season and all the, the hope. That kind of surrounded him for at least the early part. I feel like he deserved a spot in the top six. Drew though know. is on my third line.
1: Okay. But uh you mentioned that Kalchanik a little bit disappointing. I would disagree with you on that front. I tell it was very disappointing. Uh as the you know third overall pick. I expected more from him, quite a bit more from him than what he supplied. Uh, you know, just he just never got it going, whether it be, you know, coaching or he just couldn't put it together. Uh, I personally have him on my third line uh so uh but yeah i just i just found that he was just a bit too disappointing for a second line uh, role there on my team
0: all right well i've got drew in on my third line left wing and at center i have the player who actually ha- held the uh most points for a canadians player this decade in one, in one full season max domi who scored what was it, something like a 72 points last year? It was more than anyone had had the entire decade. So I feel like he certainly deserves a spot on the team, even though he didn't play here for very long. Well, hasn't played here for very long. I mean, and on my right wing on my third line, I have somebody who is one of my very favorite Canadians players of this decade, even though he was only on the team for one year, and that's Alex Radulov.
1: Yeah. Uh. For Yeah. We. I mean. Uh. Okay. So first of all, we have Radulov. Uh. Both on the right wing. Uh, let's talk about him for a bit. I mean, yeah, he was only here for one year. We signed him uh, out of Russia for uh, uh, after you know he went to the KHL for a bit, and yeah. extremely exciting. I mean, he was he was kind of the star that we were always missing. I mean, this guy oh, yeah. uh, absolutely lit it up, and uh, we all remember that goal in the, in the playoffs against the Rangers that one year
0: where uh, you know uh-huh. he just
1: what was it like? Uh, was it an overtime goal? Oh, or maybe it was to yeah, tie he the game. An
0: overtime Okay, I think yeah. The was the overtime goal. All right. Well, uh, yeah, was was,
1: yeah. He was just being hauled down, uh, in the slot, and he managed to, like, he had one hand on a stick or something like that. He managed to poke it around the goalie, uh, Henrik Lundqvist. And, uh, yeah, one of, I'm, I'm personally surprised you didn't add that to your top 10 moments, uh, because, uh, that was certainly <laughs> one of my favorites. Because, uh, yeah, you know, just Alex Radulov, uh, I, I mean, he's, he was only here for one season, but he just, he made such a mark, and, uh, very sad to see him go so to much Dallas. Fun to watch. And uh, yep. yeah, so much fun to watch. I mean, one of the best uh, we've seen this decade, and certainly even though it's it was only one season, uh, you're in the spot on the first line, uh, on the third line of our of our team. There, who's else
0: on your third line? Okay,
1: so uh, I actually have David uh, Deranet as my third line That's center. Right. Uh, look, fair, I, very fair. because uh, he was just here for so long, I, I remember how long it was like six, seven years. Uh, one of the favorites. Of uh, Michel Terrier, uh, that it probably a bit overrated uh, in terms of Terrier's view. He was a bit overplayed. Uh, but he was a very solid center. He played well with the Habs. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, just overall solid guy, uh, and it just felt like he was there forever. and so that's why I think he deserves a spot uh, on this all decade team. And Gauchcha next your left winger on the third line. Yeah, Gauch next, my third my left wing uh, my left winger there.
0: All right. Fourth line. I love this one. Michael Camilleri, David D'Arnais, and Eric Cole. I, love, I do, I know. I acknowledge that because I know how important Mike Camilleri was in the 2010 playoff run, even though I wasn't paying such close attention. Him and Halak were like the first two Canadians players whose names I recognize. He was on a scoring tear in that playoff I know, so that was a big part of that team. Again, in 2010-11, he was great, and he was uh, traded a little bit into when I started to get really invested in 11-12, but... I acknowledge that in the, the early parts of the decade, he was a very important player for this team. So I put him, I put uh, David Dernay for all the reasons you just mentioned, and Eric Cole in the 2011-12 season. He was a, a key part of that patch-ready Dernay-Eric Cole first line. That was the, the only bright spot in a terrible season. I think he had uh, over 60 points. He scored 30 goals for that one year. So I figured if Radula was on the team for one year, Eric Cole probably deserves a spot too for his uh, his great year and a half.
1: Uh, I disagree with you on that Eric Cole front. Uh, Maybe he shows up on my fifth line, but I actually have somebody different, but I'll get to him in a second. Uh, Just the rest of my line, uh, I have Camilleri on the left wing, such as you. I mean, it just seems that, you know, back then, the whole fan base knew Mike Camilleri's name. I mean, he was just the the stud on that team. He was the talk of the town in Montreal. Uh, He was the number one star, to be totally honest, on the offensive side, because they didn't have much back then. And, uh, you know, Mike Camilleri, uh, all of my siblings know his name. Uh, and they're all younger than me, and that just goes to show his impact. Uh, even even if it was early in the decade, I think he left in 2012 uh, to go to the Flames. Uh, at center, uh, a bit of a surprise pick there. I put Nick Suzuki. Uh, I know he's only playing half a season. Yeah, yeah, but uh, this guy's got me more excited than probably any other player on the team has ever had. Uh, just in terms of a prospect. I don't give a crap, all right? Look, Nick Suzuki, I love the guy, all right? I love him so much. Uh, This is not an objective list. This is definitely biased, but I'm putting Nick Suzuki, fourth line center, uh, right in in pen. Uh, Just absolutely love the guy, and uh, lots of fun to watch. I mean, he's an absolute playmaker. We've talked about him a ton this season, and uh, that just goes to show our excitement for uh, Nick Suzuki there. So a bit of a surprise pick, but uh, I'm very confident, uh, and I I just can't wait to see him in the future. Now, uh, on the right wing, a bit of an interesting pick I had there. Uh, He was on the team for a solid, uh, I think it was a four-year stint, uh, and then he left, and they came back for this season, though not on the NHL team, but uh, part of the Laval Rocket. Fourth line, right wing, Dale Weiss, baby. Uh, I mean, mean, maybe not the most prolific scorer on the team, uh, but this guy, uh, solid grit grinder. I mean, obviously the game has passed by his style of play, but uh, I don't know. I just feel like he was a mainstay on the team for a bunch of years uh, and happy to see him back in the organization, a familiar name, uh, Dale Weiss.
0: So uh, one guy I thought you were going to have on your team, but didn't, and I also didn't, was uh, Lars Eller. He was my last cut. Just fine my, my center's Picanis, Dano, Domi D'Arne. couldn't find any room for him, but I feel like he definitely deserves a shout-out. such a, a good third-line center, or uh, sometimes to the wing. Several years there in the middle of the middle of the decade.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, he was my final cut as well. I actually have his name written down here, but I scratched it out in favor of Nick Suzuki. Uh, oh come on! Yeah, I know, I know. It was final cut, Lars Eller. I'm sorry, Lars. Uh, definitely love the guy. I mean, uh, just we got him in for, for Halak, and then we traded him away for a couple seconds. Solid trade there. Uh, but uh, yeah, he played great while he was here, and uh, solid producer, the Danish boy. And, uh, uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, just shout out to him. Absolutely.
0: All right. Moving on to the defensive pairs now. Uh, Canada rush is about to start in a few minutes, so I personally kind of want to try to, to wrap this up, but, uh, we'll take our time. We'll, we'll do our thorough work. Uh, my top pair is on the left Andre Markov on the right PK Subban. How about you?
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely agree with you on that front. Uh, I don't think anybody can argue with that. I mean, Markov was, uh, a I mean, he was here forever uh kind of like Placanitz in that sort of uh fashion it's just uh yeah. you know he's just just such a constant present and he was so good you know just just an absolutely he was just so smart on the ice uh maybe in the later years his uh you know his speed kind of left him but still uh definitely a playmaker and uh I miss him but uh you know the, we heard the rumblings that he wanted to come back for the season but uh I don't know if I'd want him on the team uh this season per se but uh yeah definitely belongs on the first pair
0: yeah, and of course we talked about how important uh, PK Subban was when I did my uh, top ten moments. Number one was uh, the Subban for rubber trade. Subban, obviously, a very important part of this team for this entire stay, including a Norris Trophy. That's crazy. Uh, we forget about that sometimes. He won. He won a Norris Trophy in 2013. So good. Yeah. All right. Uh, my my second pair on the left, I got shot blocking wizard Josh Georges, and on the right, I've got current captain Shea Weber.
1: Uh, I actually uh, I have a different person on the left side there. Uh, I have uh, Jeff Petrie, uh, and uh, he he's with uh, Shea Weber, uh, and so a, cur- a couple of current members on the team. Uh, you want you want to yep, talk Petri about your playing. pairing?
0: Yeah, well, first thing, why do, you got Petrie playing his offside. That's What's all right. Cell? That's all right. The, what was the thought process? Oh come on, yeah, all right. Just, I in think Petrie would... In
1: terms of talent, all right, that's what I went with. I I'm aware Petrie plays the right side, but still matter to me. I think he was much more important than uh, who was. he, you put Josh George's there. Uh, I have him on my third pair, so we'll talk about him in a bit. But uh,
0: if, w- if yeah. we went in terms of talent, my, my top pair would have been Subban and Weber. I wouldn't have had Markov ahead of Weber.
1: Yeah, I, I don't. Know. It's just uh, well, I guess. I guess if we put it that way, maybe I should have bumped down uh, Jeff Petrie. But uh, nope, I'm here now,
0: and I got Weber Petrie. Uh, you want you want to get into Josh George's a bit? Yeah, Josh George's art. He left in 2014, but uh, he was a key part of that playoff run. Key part of the defensive corps. Played with PK Subban a lot, being the you know the the defensive rock, shut down guy. Blocked a ton of shots out. He was known for alternate captain. Very vocal in the room. I don't know if you ever watched 24 CH, the uh, behind the scenes Canadians. Every intermission, he would just be yelling at everyone the whole time. Not necessarily in a rude way, just in a tell tell you what to do, be a leader sort of way. So, uh, yeah, that's definitely someone worth mentioning.
1: Yeah, uh, I was a big fan of Josh Georges. I was sad to see him leave to Buffalo, I think it was, for uh, yeah. Uh, yeah after his stint with the Habs. But uh, it just seemed that he was also one of those guys that was just there for a long time. I mean, uh, he was there from the beginning of the decade, off to 2014. I think he was on the team before uh, the decade started. And, uh, yeah, he was just an all-around solid player. And, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, in the later years, his age kind of caught up to him. But uh, yeah, just a solid defenseman. And uh, Jeff Petrie. Yeah. Jeff Petrie, I want to get it to him a bit. Uh, absolute stud. Uh, Mark Berger stole him from the Oilers. Absolute robbery. This guy is uh, just so good. And uh, yeah, he's just. I feel like he's gotten better with aid because he's just. He's playing great this year. And uh, yeah, I,
0: yeah, I just, agree. Yeah. Jeff Petry. Uh, we uh, so cheers on my my third pair. My left defenseman on the third pair is Alexei Yemelin. Uh, I got to admit, while he was here, uh, I wasn't the biggest fan of, of him. I'm not ten, uh, generally the biggest fan of uh, players who play that kind of style. He was definitely not an offensive player. He was definitely not very fast. He was When he was on, he was, he was a reliable player. He was on the team for about five or six years, actually, but you don't realize Yemelin was there for that long before he was taken by the Golden Knights in the expansion draft. He played in the top four for most of it, actually. So, and I was looking at other left defensemen. Like, I considered Victor Matei for a second, but he hasn't been around for that long, and he hasn't been good enough in the time while he was here to uh, to earn a spot on this team ahead of someone who was was decent for six years, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. However, uh, I've down here just here for so long, I've, I've written down on my, pay, on my note sheet here, six years of Alexei Yevlin. I didn't know uh before the research that he was actually on the team for that long uh and so uh yeah i mean third pairing he totally belongs here and you're right uh in terms of left-handed or le- like left-handed defense that we could have possibly put instead of yamlin uh was just slim pickings i mean i i saw i looked at victor Matei's name and then i also came to the same conclusion uh i mean this guy didn't score his first goal until this season uh so uh solid guy. I mean, I, just like you, I wasn't like the biggest fan of Alexi Yemlin, but uh, he was just a guy that just, you know, he was there. He played well. And uh, definitely shout out to him for being the expansion pick uh, to Vegas. I mean, I was just yeah. so worried that we could have to lost someone decent. And when I saw it was Alexi <laughs> Yemlin, uh, I was ecstatic. And so probably the highlight of, of, of Alexi Yemlin's tenure was when he left uh, in the expansion draft. And so, uh, definitely worth the shout-out in that case. Uh, thank you, Alexei Yevlin, for being picked by the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, absolutely terrible expansion pick uh, on behalf of George McPhee. And, uh, yeah, that's it. I think that wraps it up for our defense. You want to move Before on to the, goalies, to the goalies, goalies?
0: Okay. Before we get to the goalies, uh, Alexander Kovanov just scored for Team Russia less than two minutes into the game to make it 1-0. Uh, Nico Dodds, the shot hit his blocker place. and bounced. Bounce way up in the air and behind him. Pretty weak goal, actually. So, uh, not a not a Oof. great start for Team Canada. They can bounce back from this. All right, goalies. I think we both have a starting goalie, Carey Price, right? Number one. Yep. Absolutely, no doubt about that. I mean, he's been the starter
1: all decade. So, uh, yep. Just no argument uh,
0: there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That special 2014-15 season where he won the Vesna Trophy, the Hart Trophy. Uh, led the team to second in the entire league in the regular season. Uh, He's been one of the best goalies in the league consistently for for quite a while. And I hope he continues to do so uh, well into the 20s because he's got several more years on his contract. And uh, in terms of the number two goalie, who do you have?
1: Yeah.
0: In terms of the the number two goalie, who do you have? I
1: have... Yeah, so I have... uh... You know, a guy who was only here for, uh, what was it, six months of this decade, technically. Uh, but I think he probably had the biggest impact uh, of any goalie other than Price. I have Yarrow Halak uh, because of uh, his playoff run in 2010. Uh, he was just, he turned into gold uh, for that little stretch. He beat the number, the, the best team in the conference. Uh, he beat the second best team in the conference, uh, the Capitals and the Penguins in a row. And uh, he just got the whole fan base excited for that six month stretch. Uh, obviously it was it was just those 6 months that technically fit in the decade uh and then he was traded in June of 2010 uh but uh definitely left his mark and uh definitely more than any other backup goalie in my opinion what about you
0: Uh I have your too I actually I was going to put Peter Budai on this team because I he was a great backup goalie for 4 years and then and then I, I a little more said I said yeah well you know just because it was it was longer doesn't mean it was was better or bigger. So I put Halak as my number two also, because even though I wasn't paying such close attention, that playoff run in 2010 was obviously a a very big deal, and it would not have happened at all without Yarrow Halak. So uh, I guess that wraps it up for 2019. You will be going on vacation, leaving on New Year's Day. So we will most likely be back around January 8th or 9th with our next episode. So going on a bit of a break here. We won't see you until it's the 2020s and the World Juniors are over and the Canadians will have played lots of games Uh, happy holidays everybody uh, Merry Christmas Happy New Year
1: yeah looking forward to coming back in the new decade Uh, and uh, let's go let's go and uh, yeah so happy holidays to you all and uh, yeah thanks for listening Uh, it's been a it's been a great 2019 for this podcast because we got her going finally and uh, oh yeah